With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome to Mom and Dad are Fighting, Slate's parenting podcast for Thursday, May 18th but Porn Actually edition. I'm Gabriel Roth. I'm an editor at Slate, and I'm the father of Eliza, who is six, and Leo, who is almost three. I'm Rebecca Lavoie. I'm a podcaster in New Hampshire, and I have Henry, who is 15, Teddy, who is 14, and my stepdaughter, Lily, who is 16. And I am Carvel Wallace. I'm a freelance writer in Oakland, California, and I have Georgia, who is 11, and Ezra, who is 14. This week on our show, we're talking about media filtering, all the stuff that your kids want to read or watch or listen to that you're not sure about, and uh, how do you handle that? We'll also have triumphs, fails, recommendations, and on Slate Plus, Rebecca Onion comes back with a crazy twist in the saga of the hippie nanny. First, a couple of announcements. If you're not already on our Facebook page, you should get on our Facebook page. Go to facebook.com slash mom and dad are fighting and click that like button uh, and you can uh, engage with us and your fellow parents slash listeners there. Tell us what you think of the show. Uh, present us with questions, quandaries, problems, your own triumphs, fails, etc. Uh, secondly, if you have not reviewed us on iTunes, Come on, why not? Review us on iTunes. Thirdly, uh, if you are not yet a member of Slate Plus, you will want to hear the ongoing saga of Rebecca Onion and the Hippie Nanny. You will want to hear all of the additional uh, podcast content that we bring you on Slate Plus, both on this show and on your other favorite Slate podcasts. And now you can get Slate Plus absolutely free for 90 days in the Slate iOS app. Just go to slate.com slash app. And you can sign up for a free trial, 90 days of Slate Plus, all that stuff, extra segments on our show every week for free for 90 days. If you have a parenting problem or conundrum that you'd like us to address on the show, why not give us a call? Call our voicemail at 424-255-7833 and leave us a message that we can use on the show. Uh, and we will try to solve your problem for you, or at least we will bat it around a little bit. Uh, that number is 424-255-7833. Uh, okay. That is all my announcements. Let's get on with our show. Triumphs, fails. Carvel, what do you have? I have a triumph, which is that uh, as, as, as is an ongoing issue in our family, getting to school on time is ridiculously impossible. We, we, get on time, we get there on time. My daughter does. My son, whose school starts 10 minutes earlier than hers, tends to be late. Uh, and he's the reason we're always running late. But in, in a way, it doesn't matter because he has P.E. first and they don't take role in P.E. until like 10 minutes into it. So this has like made him not motivated in the morning. But nonetheless, I am flabbergasted by his complete inability to honor the phrase we need to leave at 745. So 745 comes around. He's in his room. He's got one sock in his hand. He's got, he can't find the other sock. He's, you know what I mean? It's just like, what are you doing? So the other day I was there <clears throat> getting ready for getting them ready to leave. Hey guys, it's 745. Let's go. My daughter is downstairs already ready, hair brushed, backpack on, lunch like in hand, ready to go. My son is half dressed 
And uh, 7.45 comes and goes, he's not ready. 7.50 comes and goes, he's not ready. 7.55 comes and goes, he's not ready. He eventually comes downstairs. His mother's got breakfast on the table, and she's like, I was hoping you would eat breakfast because I know you have volleyball today. It's going to be a long day. He finally gets his stuff ready. He gets to the door, and then his mother's like, can you just at least take a quick bite of your breakfast, which is an egg, a piece of bread, and sausage. And my son goes, Mom, I can't. I'm in a hurry right now. Like, I can't take a bite of breakfast because it's going to be it will be late if I take breakfast and dad's going to be mad. It's I can't do it. And then as he's saying that, he goes over to like take a bite of breakfast, which literally takes 7 seconds because like I said, it's just an egg toast and whatever. And then he leaves, he rushes out the door. And his mother and I are left in the room. And I said to her, "I wonder if one day all of us will be operating on the same plane of reality." At the same time, because it occurred to me in that moment that this child literally is operating on a different plane of reality than am I. In other words, the fact that we were late wasn't because he didn't have his socks, wasn't because he didn't get his clothes ready the night before, wasn't because he didn't have his lunch, wasn't any of that. It was because his mother asked him to have a bite of his eggs before he left, even though it was already 7.58 or whatever at that moment. That's what he genuinely believes. And it was an aha moment because I was like, oh, wait a minute. I've been expecting this child to understand the world the way a 40-year-old man understands it. He does not. He is in full flight from reality at this point, and I need to treat him as such. So my triumph, which I truly believe was a triumph, was I finally realized my son is not living in the same reality as I am, and I I can no longer hold him to that standard. I just need to find out where he's at and meet him there. And for those of you who are following along at home, if you notice that one of my fails with my son was a few weeks ago, like when I first came in the show was, I'm going to treat him like a regular person, like a friend. And now my triumph is, I'm going to treat him like a person fully divorced from reality. Put those two together. And that's what raising a teenager is like. Yeah, sure is. Uh, I, I hear, hear. <laughs> okay. I, I have a fail this week. Um, and it's a fail that I perpetrated uh, not for a change on my own children, but on uh, another family. Uh, so that's always a, a, a fun kind of fail. Um, we've been sick. It's been one of those weeks where we're like passing a virus around and everybody, you know, now the one kid is staying home from school for two days and now the other kid is staying home from school for two days and like huge pain. Uh, and so we wound up with like, I've, we've been, me and, and my wife have been taking off work in alternating days or working from home to try to supervise these sick children. Um, and then Leo is sick again and he can't go to school. And like, it's just, I, you know, I can work from home, but he is demanding and you can't get a lot of work done when he's around. And the whole thing is just a difficult situation. Uh, and my wife suggested, why don't you call this other family that lives around the corner and see if their nanny is available today and can come by? Now, none of our roster of nannies or babysitters or whatever was available to be with him. Why don't you call these people and see if Joy is available to be with him? Um, and I said, that's a great idea. And I immediately texted them. And it's like 7.30 in the morning. It's in the like, now we're scrambling to figure out how to deal with the day kind of period. 
Uh, and so I text this very nice woman who like, we're very, we're friendly with this family. They're friends of ours, but they're friends, you know, like our kids are in the same preschool kind of way. We're that kind of friends. And so I text her and I'm like, do you think joy would be available to do this? And she says, Oh, I don't know. And she's supposed to come over here at this time, but let me talk to her and see if we can work something out. And we're in the middle of a bit of chaos over here because it's seven 30 in the morning and they have their own two kids to get off to school, but let me talk to her and I'll get back to you. And so they're in the middle of whatever is their morning chaos. And I have now added uh, my logistical bullshit on top of theirs. And this very nice woman who I am, you know, have a very pleasant, friendly relationship with is is going out of her way to deal with this thing. And she deals with it. And then I talk to the nanny and the nanny is into it. And so we have like made this backup arrangement. And I mention it. I, I So I like tell Leo like, okay, so Joy, who is the nanny of Tom and Maisie is going to come over and she's going to take care of you. And he went like apoplectic like the screams and the throwing his arms around and he's very very sick and he has a fever and so he's sort of overheating and he is like shaking and like he's just not into i don't know if he doesn't like this nanny or if he like he just and he's so sick and like i just can't deal with this so i caved like i shouldn't have caved i should have been like it's fine she'll get here and he'll be fine but he, she wasn't going to get there until noon and it was only going to get me four hours and it wasn't worth it. And so I caved. And so I had to call the people back and tell them, no, we don't want to do this plan that you have just spent like 25 minutes of your logistical morning trying to help me organize. And so I will take these four hours out of work. And like now I'm the person who sent them on this ridiculous wild goose chase at just the worst possible moment of the day. And I see them at drop off and pick up and they are still super nice and friendly, which only makes it worse. <laughs> so uh, yeah. You screwed up. Yeah, not good. <laughs> It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Okay, uh, Rebecca, what have you got? Well, mine, I'm going to call it a triumph, but it is born from another parent's uh, fail, which I normally wouldn't say another parent was a failure, but I think when I tell this story, it's going to be difficult for you to not agree with that. So I'm comfortable saying that. My son, Teddy, uh, who is in eighth grade, came home from school one day. Uh, we were sitting down to dinner, and he was just super duper upset. Now, his brother, Henry, they had ridden the bus home together that day, had filled me in that um, Teddy had gotten in big trouble at school and that he was, uh, I was probably going to be getting a call, that he was going to be getting detention. And um, I really wanted Teddy to tell me what happened, but it was very obvious that he was very, very upset. So the way that I decided to handle it was to say, hey, I heard something happened. Why don't you go ahead and tell me what happened? So this is the story he told me, and it was 100% fully corroborated by the assistant principal who called me the next day, which is that he, uh, a little context, the school my kids go to, this won't be a huge surprise because I live in a small town in New Hampshire, is almost entirely white. This is like the, the main downside of raising kids where we live. We live in a beautiful place. It's a wonderful place to live and a great place to grow up. But 
just the sort of general exposure to other cultures is just completely absent. I grew up in a very, very diverse community in uh, Long Island, New York. So I'm always very conscious of that being my kid's situation. And, and we talk about it all the time. And, you know, they're very conscious of, you know, racial issues and cultural stuff. And they understand that, like, not everybody is the same. So that's always been going uh, pretty well. So Teddy um, has justice issues, as I think we've discussed on the show before. And he was sitting near in the cafeteria. Uh, He was sitting with his friend, who is one of like three African-American kids in uh, the entire middle and high school in right here in my small town. And he was sitting behind him was a kid who is, I guess, has kind of earned a reputation in the grade as being like the troublemaker. And he is kind of a bully and he's just sort of mean, allegedly. And uh, this kid was telling a story that Teddy knew to be untrue and it pointed to some other classmates in an unflattering way. And Teddy, being the little uh, social justice warrior that he is, turned around and started arguing with this kid about his story and saying, like, you can't say that. It's not true. And then the kid was getting it got more escalated. And the kid said, yes, I can. You're really stupid. And then Teddy, you know, kind of went back and forth and back and forth. And Teddy's friend, and now I'm going to tell you the story exactly as Teddy told me, because it's important. Teddy then says, and so my friend Stephen jumps in to defend me. And this kid says to him, shut up, you fucking N-word. That is exactly how Teddy told me the story. So obviously we are in a horrible, horrible place uh, in our world where a child would say that to another child in any context. But the first thing I thought after I thought about the horror of what happened was my son was super comfortable saying the F word, but he could not repeat the N word, which is what the kid said. That kid did not actually say the N word. He said the, the full word. And I thought, man, I am doing something right when, uh, you know, contextually speaking, this 14 year old, uh, you know, tells a story accurately, uses the F word, but can't say just can't bring himself to say the N word. So obviously this led to a bunch of other conversations. Uh, In case you're wondering, the reason why Teddy got detention, as the vice principal explained to me, was because she sort of felt like although he was technically in the right, he should have extricated himself from this situation with this kid with whom he's had like some, you know, uh, disagreements of the mind before. And so she just wanted to make sure that he didn't, you know, that he if he found himself in that situation again, he might be more incentivized to walk away. The kid, of course, got uh, a much harsher punishment. He was suspended for several days. It was a whole thing. It inspired a lot of good and productive conversation, both at school and at home. But my triumph is that I raised kids who, even when recounting what someone else said, cannot bring themselves to use that word. So that's what happened. Wow. First of all, uh, I know a couple of episodes ago when I was talking about how difficult it is to live in the Bay Area because of money and a lot of people, listeners, were uh, responded with, well, move here. You should move here. You should move to these places. This is one of the reasons why that's something that I take seriously as a person yeah. raising black 
black kids because it's not quite the same. The charming mid, this charming small town is not the same for white people as it is for black people. It just isn't in America. And, um, and, uh, that's something that we take into account. But also, I would say you could do a whole show on the use of the N word and all its variants. And it's just something that we as a family talk about a lot. It comes up a lot for both my kids. It comes up in music. It comes up in conversation. It comes up in how do we talk about this? And uh, my kids are mixed. So they even have another question, set of questions about it. Um, but I will say that it sounds to me that the bigger uh, victory here is that um, your son is someone who um, feels motivated to take action around social justice. Because in this time that we live, one thing I've observed, having been a black person in America for 40-something years, is that the biggest issue that content- that I think is underreported is not that people have feelings about social injustice and they wish it were better. I'm talking about white people, but that whether or not people take action. Right. Put actually inconvenience or move their bodies in such a way as they're willing to take action. That seems to be the differentiator. I get that a lot of people feel like they wish everything could be fair and they feel bad when things aren't fair. That's unfortunately not enough. It turns out it has to be about action. And there simply aren't enough black people in America to take all the action that it takes in order for things to be set right. That's just not what it is. In order for this to happen in this country, it requires a lot of people to take action uh, for justice. And so I tend to these days look at not whether or not people feel like there should be justice or feel bad or like are horrified by how racist everything is. Your horror doesn't really help the situation. My question always is, what kind of actions are you taking? So I would say the big victory here is that sounds like you're raising someone who feels motivated to take action on his beliefs, which is a huge difference, if you ask me. Teddy, for the record, when talked to by both me and his assistant principal about, like, you need to not engage with this kid, said, you know what? When he's being mean to other kids, like, I'm not going to not do it. Like, I would do it again (laughs) if given the the choice. And that did really make me really proud and feel Mm -hmm. like he is an actor and um, and has good uh, like good sense when it comes to what's right and wrong, which, you know, horrible situation. But if that was if that was a positive takeaway, like I will I will take it. And and as to what you said about, you know, living where I live. I wouldn't move here if I were if I were, you know, a black family. It would be very, very difficult to imagine not worrying about this exact kind of thing happening all the time. And it's hap- it doesn't happen here all the time. This is a really decent and nice place. But lately it's been happening more. It's an issue for another day. But um, it's uh, it was it was rough. But there was a silver lining, as you point out. Mm-hmm. Carvel, I would like to ask you to say a bit more about what you mentioned earlier in terms of the N-word and your family and, and how that word comes up and, and how you manage that in terms of your kids. Can you, can you say a bit more about that? So I guess what I can say is that, you know, I, I am, I'm firmly in the camp of there are two ways to use the word. <laughs> and there's the way black people use it with one another, and there's the way white people use it with black people. Um, and the hard those are two R, se- as my kids say. Yeah, the hard, yeah. the hard R, and, and those yeah. are two completely separate things. And as a person who grew up around black people, to the extent my family, my p- parents, grandparents, etc., this was a word that was part of 
um, it was part of the rhythm of speech. It was part of the pattern of interaction. You used it for comedic effect in particular moments. You you sprinkled it in. It, I mean, it's used in a very specific way, but it it has a use. It has a meaning. And I think everyone, when I grew up as a family, as friends, as a community, we all knew what it meant when people said it and how it was being used. And it's a it's a useful word in its own linguistic context. Um, whether or not my so my kids are growing up in a situation where the word is prevalent, they hear it. Uh, in in media, they hear it in the music they like. Both my kids listen to hip hop exclusively. My daughter more R and B. My son is like really beginning to explore all the layers of hip hop, everything from old stuff to new stuff. He's it's really become an academic pursuit for him. The word comes up a lot. My feeling about it is that, and my son has asked me straight out, like maybe two years ago, I think is the first time he said, "What do you think it's okay for me to say this word?" And I said, well, I explained what I thought the word meant and the differences between the way it's used by different people and what it means in the hands in the mouth of a black person versus in the mouth of a white person. He seemed to get that. And I said, ultimately, in life, you have to make your own decision about that. But this is the context for that. So I didn't tell him whether or not he could or could use it, could or could not use it. Um, I believe that it's important for him um for both of them, because I think it's beginning to come up for her now in middle school, I think it's important for both of them to understand the, all the power of that word. A word is The word itself isn't powerful. It's a container for a very powerful set of meanings, assumptions, and histories. And you, don't re- you can't really understand America unless you understand all of the layers held by that word. It's not the word itself. It's what the word means. It's about, it has to do with definition of self. It has to do with ownership. It has to do with freedom. It has to do with rights. It has to do with our history. And as long as my kids are beginning to put all that together, and I genuinely believe they are, because despite whatever foibles they have about getting their socks on in time, they are genuinely intelligent and curious people about the world. Um, And they have emotional intelligence, and I believe they're putting that together. I feel like if you have the full weight of that, and you decide that that's a word that you want to incorporate in your vocabulary in an appropriate way, then have at it. And if you run into trouble with that, you will find that on your own as you go out into the world. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. This week, we're going to talk about filtering media, the stuff that your kids want to read or listen to or watch that you don't approve of, that you don't think they're old enough for, that you think they might just about be old enough for, and the way in which those arguments get resolved or don't. Um, I'm going to start with something that's come up in our house recently, which is comics. I like comics and I have some comics lying around and Eliza has been finding them and picking them up and she thinks they're for her because they're comics and they're about superheroes and she sees the X-Men and Batman on her the backpacks of her classmates and she assumes these things are for kids which they really should be and then she picks up a book and it's full of like lurid 
depictions of violence and extreme permutations of female anatomy that are apparently traced from pornography. And the whole thing just feels kind of repulsive to me and is clearly not appropriate for a six-year-old. Uh, and I've had to explain to her that there are her comics and my comics, and, uh, I've had to put my comics on a high shelf. Um, and I've told her that like when she's 13, then she can read my X-Men comics. Although that just seems so like, I don't want her reading these things ever. They're repulsive and I want to get them out of my house. Uh, what about you guys? Has, uh, how does this stuff come up for you? Oh, well, um, I come from the school of, my kid probably shouldn't be watching this, but he's already started. So I guess we're all watching it now. Uh, you know, I think when they were younger, it was definitely more of an issue, as you mentioned, only because you would find yourself thinking, I mean, part of it was, is it appropriate? And part of it was, am I the kind of parent who lets their kid watch or listen to or look at XYZ? Like, I remember when the kids were pretty young, not really remembering the details of Love Actually and thinking like, oh, this is like a fun Christmas movie that we could watch. And I forgot all about the whole pornography sections with the uh, the couple that's naked and, you know, getting to know each other as they're s- setting up for a porn shoot. Um, and it was like, do we fast? What do we do? <laughs> what do we do? How, how so, old were the kids at the time? Oh, God, little. Uh, I want to say... <sighs> Six, seven, nine, and that in that age range, just say between six and nine, the three of them. Um, but I mean, I grew up in the kind of house where my parents would let me watch, you know, R-rated movies and would take me to adult, you know, not adult films, but like a films for adults. And uh, <laughs> and it, but it is a lie. But I think I think what you're expressing is that you realized what the content is because you're seeing it through that lens now, right? Yeah. You were You didn't think about this at all before. Yeah, that's exactly right. That like, oh, I I actually don't want to be associated with this material in any way. And I don't know why I'm still reading it as an adult. When they're teenagers, don't they like, like older teenagers, when they're, when a kid is 17 years old, I mean, what is there that they haven't seen at that point, right? Exactly. Like they've heard all the words, they've seen all the different parts of the anatomy. <laughs> I, I, I assume now, thanks to online pornography, like literally they've yeah. seen things that would blow my mind, right? Yeah. Well, that was one of the things that we, because for, for I mean, I feel I, I too am in the Rebecca camp of like, it's, we're not going to keep the doors and windows closed from content. It's just, it's not a reality in 2017 unless you live in a cave, which you could do, or unless you live in a place with no Wi-Fi and one family computer that is monitored and, and nanny cammed or whatever. You can do that. We don't do that. I'm not even saying you should or shouldn't. I'm saying that's not our reality. Once the kids were able to access the internet on their own, we had to operate under the general assumption <clears throat> that they were going to eventually see everything there is to see out there. And one of the things that we sort of realized um, when the ki- the first kid got their first, I think we did iPod touches before phones. And that was like the, that it's was the like gateway device. When, of, oh, yeah. It's a gateway device. Exactly. <laughs> Start them off small. Um, uh, but that's an, that's an internet enabled device. So we felt like we had to operate from the assumption that we were talking to a parenting, a child who has already seen, things. And our job was going to be, even if we weren't going to have a real conversation about it yet, because it wasn't, hadn't come up, our job was going to be to contextualize, to talk about, I'm thinking specifically about porn, to talk about relationships, love, gender, gender roles, 
bodies, uh, permission, consent, etc. All these things to talk about them with the assumption that we're talking to someone who has already seen some wrong things in these areas and that our job is ultimately to be context setting. So what what I'm saying is I don't think that we can keep con- – I mean I think you can you – have, you, you have to try, but you have limited success keeping your child from content. That's a losing game in the long run. Right. Really what the job is is to set proper context so that the kid ultimately can, pro- can process and contextualize that c- content in an appropriate or healthy way so that the kid knows – well, here's this thing, but this is like different than what I believe, than what my values are, what our family's values are, what sort of I understand about the world. So this must be something weird or this must be something off as opposed to here's this thing. I guess this is what's totally normal. And like you can't even control that because as the bad news for parents is you actually don't get to control what another person thinks it turns out, which is terrible because that's the whole point of parenting, but you can't really do it. <laughs> But, <laughs> but, um, but you do, but so I, I feel like our job is mostly that context setting. We, we want the, whatever content they find out there that is weird, disturbing, disgusting, inappropriate, racist, sexist, misogynistic. We want that stuff. We want them to view that in context, um, as opposed to viewing it out of context, sort of saying like, well, I guess this is what it is now. I guess this is what the world is. The The problem is that, all of what you're saying I'm totally applies to older teenagers and doesn't yeah. apply at all to a five-year-old. And somewhere in between here and there, it changes, and it doesn't change like all at once. It's not like they wake no. up on their 12th birthday and suddenly they get to watch whatever they want to watch and think about whatever they want to think about, and your job is to provide them with the appropriate context. It's that somewhere between like my kid who is six and I basically do tell her what to think about stuff and I basically do decide, okay, you can read this thing, but not that thing. You can watch this show, but not that show. Um, between here and there, like a whole bunch of stuff is going to happen day by day. The gradual erosion of my control over her inputs and my ability to tell her what to think about them. Um, and managing that process seems very uh, dicey and like a lot of um, anxiety. You're right that it happens day by day. And we lose as kids go older and they, and, and they spend more time in the world without us. Then the inputs, we lose control over the inputs. And if we lose control over the inputs, that means the content comes in that we haven't filtered or understood. That is the process of kids getting older. It begins the first time you drop them off at wherever, and it continues in that fashion up until whenever. And But there are some big turning points. One is when they gain the ability to access the internet without your permission or help or support. That, that moment, that is a big moment. That's a little bit like a learning to drive, going to prom sort of like moment. And whether that's when they get a device or when they fi- you, they finally get on a device that isn't sort of like um, kind of net nanny or whatever. Locked down. <laughs> does it, well, they don't have to go through you. The thing we all agree on is that it happens faster than we would like. That is the fact for everyone. If you're a parent out there and it feels like the onslaught of material and content is happening ahead of your schedule, that's normal. You're, you're not going to be able to regulate it. 
Right. And your younger and your younger child, that moment for them is when it's that moment for your older child, because you cannot exactly right. Have two different media filters or three different media. You cannot. It's 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 actually impossible because if your children are going to spend any time alone together ever, your younger kids are automatically going to be exposed to either the media directly or to the effects of the media. So, you know, basically what I'm saying to you, Gabe, is your younger son has also basically uh, been corrupted by those X-Men comic books at this point. Fantastic. (laughs) Cool. Good to know. This sounds so grim if your kids are younger. So I have to so I have to offer some form of hope, which is that to me, I mean, I have been, you know, I think one of the mistakes we make as parents, I think we more I more frequently underestimate my children than overestimate them. And that's part of this structure of parenting because we parent from a place of fear and fear. We our job is to prevent the worst from happening, so we have to assume the worst can happen. So we have to be on guard against the worst happening. Yes. And yes, in, that's exactly in that regard, right. that's exactly what it is. However, <laughs> in that regard, I have found that I have that I tend to underestimate my children's ability to contextualize and understand stuff. And these subjects come into our house via media and 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 we have an opportunity to talk about them and one of the examples i was going to use there's two things i thought of one is that when years ago they told me the story right as it happened because they were horrified by it my son googled the word this is when they were like 10 my son googled the word penis and I'm sorry, I'm 12. I can't not laugh at that. <laughs> no, absolutely. I mean, this is an age-appropriate thing for a 10-year-old to do. It is his sister was in the room with him, or maybe he showed her since she was like seven. And what came up were these like medical drawings of like I I still never saw it, but I believe it was a, basically a medical like illustration of a, like a sort of vivisected penis, like showing what the parts were. Now, my son saw this and was horrified. Like he was Horrified. It was like a penis cut in half. He just, that is not what he was expecting. And he was so horrified that he came to me and was like, Dad, I'm terrified. I Googled the word penis and I saw like a penis cut in half and like, what? (laughs) And and they still talk about this to this day because this was clearly a seminal moment for both of them. And what it, it happened, what it ultimately turned into for us was a conversation about basically like this. Look. Everything is out there on the internet. Everything is out there. And if you go looking for things, you will find scary, terrifying, unsettling things. And so you, if you want scary, unsettling, and terrifying things, you're going to get them. You have to do some regulation on your own because you have to be aware that the internet is like going outside into the world. Right right now, at age 10, you don't just open up the door and just go wandering down the street in the dark because you're kind of afraid something scary might happen. And that's fair. That's understandable. So even though you technically know how to unlock the door and you technically know how to walk down the street at 2 a.m., you don't do that because you know that there's a possibility of something scary happening. You have to treat the Internet like that. Now that you know how to unlock the door doesn't mean that you should. There may there are still scary things down that street. It felt really good to be able to have that conversation with him um, about because that's ultimately what we're doing in a general sense with kids is preparing them to navigate the world on their own without us. Again, the pace of it is not what we prefer, but that's what the practice is. 
in our in our house, it's typically movies now that are that's pushed the boundaries because everyone in our family loves movies and filmmaking and loves to talk about who's a good director and what what a cool shot that was or whatever. And I think a lot of kids are doing that now in the YouTube generation because kids are sort of everyone's a little bit of an amateur filmmaker. But my son introduced this movie to me that he thought he really wanted me to see and I think be impressed by it, which is a movie called Men, Women, and Children. It's like a two thousand. Oh, 12 movie starring, unfortunately, Adam Sandler and some other people, although it's not an Adam Sandler film. And it's a story about basically it's kind of a comedy drama about a group of high school teenagers and their parents trying to navigate the way the Internet has changed their relationships, communication, self-image, etc. And there's a scene in there where a teenage girl who's like 15 is at a party with an older guy who's like 17 that she has a crush on. and they end up having sex. And the question of consent in the scene is very fuzzy. And that's the point of the scene, that the question of consent is fuzzy. And when my son showed me this movie, I was thinking the whole time, this is content far beyond where I thought you were at. There's references to porn. There's people, you know, there's all kinds of just heavy stuff in this film with all these families in this one town trying to deal with the internet and their lives. And in this consent scene, which was very uncomfortable and very nerve-wracking for me to watch. One thing that came out after it was over is that my son did not understand that there was a problem with the way consent was handled in the fictional scene, not the way the movie handled it, but the way these two characters. He was like, well, she said yes. And I said, well, but he sort of coerced her and shamed her into saying yes. And she said it because, and we, then we got to talk about power indifference and everything. I mean, that was, even though I was really unhappy with, like, the level of content, that conversation turns out to have been the table setter for now going on, like, a year-long, like, conversation about consent, about misogyny, about rape culture that my son seems to really get. And if we, it just, it just was... It was a much better outcome from watching that movie than I even predicted. And I don't think he had he had no idea that was going to happen from watching that movie because he didn't see a problem with the scene at all. And ju- it was just such a great opportunity for us to realize, wow, we are on different pages about how consent is handled. And there's some things about coercion and uh, et cetera that he doesn't yet understand. And here's an opportunity for me to explain them. So I would say that was a positive experience for me. All right. It's time for us to move on. I'm sure all of you have struggled with this stuff as well, have come to your own conclusions about it. Uh, Let us know on our Facebook page, facebook.com slash mom and dad are fighting. What have you stopped your kids from watching? What have they watched in spite of you? Uh, How has it all worked out? Let us know. Nickelodeon's got your preschoolers covered from sunrise to bedtime with four brand new podcasts. Grab their backpack and go on a culinary quest with Dora's recipe for adventure. Make game time great time with Let's Guess Who with Josh and Blue. And tuck in for adventure with Nickelodeon's Goodnight Bedtime Stories. Plus, we've got a brand new season of Storytime with Josh and Blue. Search Nickelodeon on your favorite podcast app to listen. Time now for uh, recommendations. Um, Rebecca, what do you recommend? I've actually got a parenting uh, book that I want to recommend this week. And I'm not like a big parenting book reader, but I've gotten a lot of email ever since we recorded the show a few weeks ago where I talked about 
reading some stuff around ADHD and learning that your kids, you know, reframing it for yourself so that, you know, you, you learn as a parent that your kids can't do something versus won't do something. So one of the books that the guy who um, wrote sort of a lot of the research around that around is called The Explosive Child. This is by Dr. Ross Green. Um, he is a professor at Harvard Medical School. He's the originator of a lot of research and models around kids and behavior. And uh, the subtitle of this book, The Explosive Child, is A New Approach for Understanding and Parenting Easily Frustrated, Chronically Inflexible Children. Um, that sounds like a lot of kids. It sounds like both of my kids at certain points in their life. And it's one of the questions I see a lot of on the mom and dad are fighting Facebook page is a question that I get a lot about my kids because they've really mellowed out since they were younger. And basically, uh, Dr. Ross Green, the reason I'm a big fan of his and the reason why I would recommend this book, and I've actually given this book to people before who have come to me and said that they were struggling with whether it's ADHD or kids with other kinds of issues around inflexibility, is that his approach really is uh, about looking at your child as a whole physiological human being and not you know, taking the idea that like we need to teach this away or we need to, you know, put in tools to help, you know, mold you in a different direction. It's more about the way that you just begin by looking at your kid differently and looking at that inflexibility, not as a personality issue, but as something that's physiologically underdeveloped or physiologically developed differently and then developing all of your approaches around that thinking. So it's very much centered around what to do about the way you are looking at your kids first uh, before you put any tools or actions or new behaviors in place. So again, that book is called the Explosive Child. It's by Dr. Ross Green. And I also recommend just Googling Dr. Ross Green. I found his writing and research very helpful when, you know, looking at things around ADHD when it came to my son and myself. He also has a lot of writing on adult ADHD. So um, I recommend this book really highly if this is an issue that you feel like you can relate to. Great. And we'll link to that uh, from our show page and Facebook page. Uh, I'm going to recommend a collection of children's books by the author and illustrator Tommy Ungerer. Uh, a French-born, now living in Ireland, um, writer and illustrator. Um, we got a hardcover collection called A Treasury of Eight Books from the kid's grandmother. I had never heard of this person before. Uh, some of the books are apparently pretty famous. There's one called The Three Robbers, which is really great and is well-known. There are some in this book that are just back in print. There's one called Zeralda's Ogre that the kids really like. There's a famous one called Otto about a teddy bear that is um, actually a bit disturbing because the teddy bear gets um, implicated in the Holocaust. Uh, so that one took a dark turn that we weren't quite expecting. Um, but the rest of them do not take a dark turn like that. But they're uh, just beautifully illustrated and designed uh, fairy tale style children's books. Uh, the author is Tommy Ungerer. Uh, this collection is a treasury of eight books. Uh, we'll link to that one too. Carvel, what do you recommend? Wait, wait, wait. Did you say, wait, I'm sorry. Did you say the teddy bear gets implicated in the Holocaust? Implicated is probably the wrong word. The teddy bear is inculpable <laughs> for the Holocaust. Okay. I, I just wanted to make sure no, I heard that. No, that, that, that's, exactly a, correct. That's, that's a worthwhile <laughs> clarification. Yeah. Okay. No, the teddy, the teddy bear is not on the side of the Third Reich. <laughs> Uh, that 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 would be an even darker twist. <laughs> that sentence. <there's... laughs> okay, we're not calling this the Teddy Bear Holocaust Edition, but we. Sh but okay, we anyway, should. so um, <laughs> should we though? 
Should we though? <laughs> okay, so I'm recommending a video called The History of the Entire World, I guess. It's a 20-minute YouTube video that already has 13 million views. Apparently, it took the guy two years to make it. And it is, exactly as it sounds, uh, a video that covers the history of the entire world. Um, Obviously, not the complete history. That would take many millions of years. But uh, it's fast-paced, lighthearted. It does have a fair number of cuss words in it. So if you're afraid of your children hearing stuff like that, uh, it's animated. Um, there are lots of kind of jokes, but it does cover sort of the creation, everything from the big bang all the way up to this sort of, dis, you know, creations of, of bipedal humans to the agrarian age, bronze age, rented like it's, it's, uh, uh, in various civilizations in North America and South America and Africa and Asia, you know, 30,000 years ago. Um, and it's just a pleasure to watch. My son and daughter brought it home to us, and they really wanted us to watch it. And the four of us sat down, and we just thought it was really funny. And it opened up all these conversations about where we're going as a world, et cetera, et cetera. Good fodder, good education, lighthearted fun. It's probably for older kids, like uh, maybe 12 and up. Uh, it's called The History of the Entire World, I guess. And we will put out the link to it. Great. Okay, that's our show. Thanks to my co-hosts, Carvel Wallace and Rebecca Lavoie. Mom and Dad are Fighting is produced by Benjamin Frisch. Slate Podcasting's executive producer, Steve Lichtai. Our managing producer is June Thomas. Slate Podcasting is part of the Panoply Network, of which the chief content officer is Andy Bowers. We'll be back next week with another episode of Mom and Dad are Fighting. Every teddy bear who's been good is sure of a treat today. There's lots of marvelous things to eat and wonderful games to play. Beneath the trees where nobody sees, they'll hide and seek as long as they please. That's the way the teddy bears have their picnic. Picnic time for teddy bears. The little teddy Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW group. Void prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.